0: Space may be the final frontier, but we here at the More You Nerd have a different mission. An ongoing mission to expand your nerd horizons. My name is Drew. And my name is Miles. And we are here to talk about the first theme for the new More You Nerd experience best returns. And we are going to start out with something very, very special to all of our hearts Star Trek The Motion Picture.
1: So, so, Drew, with Star Trek, what made you select the motion picture as your go-to for best return? Because this is an interesting
0: story. Because you see, Star Trek, we know it today as this persistent franchise that's been on the air for, on every network in every country of the world for years and years and
1: years. But that wasn't always the case. I am so glad you mentioned that because as I was thinking about Star Trek and in researching this episode, I I was struck by the fact that, you know, this was a show that was on network television. It was not on, you know, CBS All Access. It wasn't on Netflix or sci-fi channel. It wasn't relegated to some other corner of viewing. This was a this was a big deal. Yeah, but to talk about this, the
0: motion picture as a return, we have to talk about the original Star Trek series and where it ended. The original Star Trek series hit the airwaves in 1966. Reviews from the most important publications of the time were decidedly mixed. Some were very high on it, some were not so high on it. The show aired in prime time, Thursday nights at 8.30, and the ratings started strong. But as the season went on, it kind of dropped to the middle of the pack, and NBC cautiously greenlit a second season. Unfortunately, they moved the show to Friday nights at 8.30, even back in the 60s. That was a
1: troublesome time slot to be stuck in. That kind of surprised me, because growing up, and maybe it was just because I was a kid, I I always thought that Friday nights were for people who had to stay home and watch TV. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> cause, because I remember so many shows that would air on Friday night. It wasn't until I was an adult that I discovered that it was considered a death slot. Well, it's
0: interesting that you mentioned that because that is really some of the
1: prime Star
0: Trek audience were people that were younger, people that were couldn't go out on a Friday night to do things.
1: Well, so so what happened once they moved it to Fridays?
0: Well, the ratings continued to drop and it looked like NBC was going to drop the hammer and cancel Star Trek.
1: So while Star Trek may not have garnered the ratings that NBC wanted, it did have something the network didn't expect, a rabid fan base. Now we take that for granted now, but this was something very new back then. And sci-fi van- fandom icons Joe and John Trimble began a letter writing campaign reaching out to all of their connections in fan clubs, magazines, and conventions all over the country to keep Trek on the air. And again, I feel like we take that for granted. This 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 type of fandom had never been mobilized before. This isn't so, emails. This is letters. Yeah. I mean, this is people spending like real actual time and money for a show. I mean, this is this had not really been done before. And NBC received Record mailings for the time. It was it was a success, and Star Trek was renewed for a third season with an on air announcement asking for fans to stop writing in.
0: <laughs> Interestingly enough, all that did was prompt fans to write thank you notes for renewing the show.
1: So. Well, you know, you 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 want to at least <laughs> show your gratitude. I mean, I I understand that, but I also get that some poor mailboy is like, oh my god, make it stop. <laughs> <laughs> so unfortunately
0: there was still some trouble behind the scenes. So the, the day they were going to put Star Trek on, a little show called Laugh-In was going to be up against it on another network. So NBC didn't want to compete want Star Trek to compete with Laugh-In because it was already had low ratings. So they moved it to just a, a real great time slot. Friday nights at 10 p.m.
1: Oof, and you got to think back then, like who's watching TV at 10 p.m.?
0: Yeah, if you thought that the 8:30 on on Fridays was a death slot, boy, howdy. Uh this outraged series creator Gene Roddenberry so much that he left the show in all but an executive producer credit, leaving uh, another person in charge of the show. Uh the budget was slashed, production quality suffered, and It shows in that third season, which features some of the worst episodes of the original Star Trek, including the series premiere Spock's Brain, which is often considered one of the worst Star Trek episodes of all time. Unfortunately, at the end of the third season, Star
1: Trek's time had come. It was time to be canceled. Except that same fan campaign to keep the show on the air had an interesting side effect. Because the show had run for three seasons, it now had enough episodes for networks outside of the big three to pick it up for rerun syndication. That's something that we should point out.
0: At the time, TV was largely run by CBS, NBC, and ABC.
1: Now, these were local affiliates, 137 channels across the United States alone. Now, this was often placed in afternoons and early evenings. And that way the show captured a much bigger audience, often young, that it couldn't late on Friday nights. So by 1972, the Associated Press named it the show that wouldn't die. Those rabid Trek fans, which we now call Trekkies, and we know they are rabid, organized the very first Star Trek convention that same year.
0: Yeah, Don't get bitten by a Trekkie. You'll uh, have to be beamed up. This joke didn't work. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I was I was wondering where you were going with
0: that. <laughs> so after uh, after the success, uh, Paramount, the company that that owns Star Trek, formerly Desilu, I didn't realize that Desilu and Paramount were the same company. Uh, I didn't either. They decided to create an animated series featuring most of the original cast, and there's a whole we could do a whole theme on star trek the animated series it ran from two seasons across 1972 and 73 and it actually won star trek's first emmy for outstanding children's entertainment series and uh, i have to check some of the more recent years but i don't think any other star trek series won an outstanding series emmy a lot of a lot of the star mm. trek emmys were technical
1: best cinematography best sound best Effects. I, I think you're right. I want to say like best of both worlds might have been nominated for something, but I know it won a lot of sci-fi awards. I just don't know if it won an Emmy. And, and if you want to know our feelings on that, our episode on Star Trek made series is still up. So you can seek that out, seek a little bit more background and review of of that Honestly, very excellent animated adaptation.
0: It's pretty, it's crazy how good it is. It's funny. But by 1975, Paramount Pictures and Gene Roddenberry had begun planning a brand new Star Trek television series because Paramount was going to start their own TV network to compete with ABC, NBC, and CBS. And the show they wanted to anchor it, oh, you better believe it was. And you've heard this before, I'm sure. The very famous, very popular, very well-known Star Trek
1: Phase 2. I'm going to say right now, I really hate that name.
0: <laughs> it's a bad name. It's a bad I, and,
1: name. And, and, and through all of my research on Star Trek Phase 2, because I did I did a lot of research on Phase 2. I have, honestly I have a lot to say about Phase 2.
0: <laughs> but I could never figure out why it was called Phase 2. Because it, it sounds more science fiction-y than... New Star Trek.
1: I mean, it does, but they they chose a better name less than ten years later with the Next Generation.
0: Sure, I, I'm not sure that that was a great name either. But hey, I mean, that's a conversation I, for a different day. Yeah, <laughs> I,
1: it might be nostalgia talking, but I I do I do love TNG. So Phase Two was a long gestating period. It started in 75. And like Drew said, they were planning a new network because initially they had, uh, Bromberry had wanted to do a, a feature film, a low budget film using the Star Trek name. He had a script entitled Star Trek, the God thing, the bones of which you will see in the motion picture. But production switched and a new script entitled Planet of the Titans was written, which was also rejected. So despite objections from Paramount, they planned a new series. However, in 1977, something bigger in science fiction happened. And Drew, I can't imagine you don't know what that is.
0: It's this little independent film. kind of A couple of young upstart actors, first-time director. Uh, actually, I don't think it
1: was a first-time director. Star Wars. Star Wars came out in 1977. Star Wars happened and pretty much changed everything. Star Wars happened, the Star Trek feature film was immediately canceled. I think before Star Wars even debuted, because the studio didn't think that fans would see two science fiction films so close together, which blows my mind. But then they changed their mind
0: about that because after Star Wars success, after Close Encounters of the Third Kind success, they didn't think that they would have a Star Star, uh, like two movies with the name Star in it. But then they decided to go forward with it anyway because they could not not capitalize on making a big science fiction epic movie.
1: <laughs> exactly. And so uh, as Drew had previously said, phase two was this idea that when Paramount Television Service came out, it would be one of the leading shows to launch the new channel. 13 episodes were written. Uh, Roddenberry said it would continue to cover the modern themes in a science fiction way that the series had. And he wanted to show 23rd century Earth for the first time. Because if you remember, Star Trek, the original series, never showed Earth. It never showed what was going on on the home planet.
0: The only times they ever went to Earth were time travel episodes.
1: Right. Eventually, there was a lot of – this This show had a lot of production mishaps. You Leonard Nimoy didn't want to do it because he was kind of falling out with Roddenberry because he had sued NBC for basically not getting any royalties from using his likeness. And Roddenberry didn't testify on his behalf. So he wasn't going to be in the show. So they are like, all right, fine. We'll – make a new Vulcan.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, additionally, Shatner at the time was way more expensive than anybody else. So they had all these stipulations about creating this new character that could take over for him so that he could leave the show. And, and that's where we get uh, a, a, well, a character we'll get talk a lot about in this episode today.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and then a lot of the, 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 other cast was planned to return in some capacity. But the show was just, it kept going through different production phases. And eventually, Paramount realized the projected advertising revenue would not support a fourth network. So they scrapped the idea entirely, leaving the show canceled. However, they'd already spent over 500 grand and and built sets. They had 13 full scripts, the whole nine yards. So they decided they could recoup their expenses by turning Star Trek into a feature film. And this is where there's
0: one of the most interesting things about this whole experience. Because Paramount had announced and canceled a Star Trek movie a couple of times in, in the, in, in the, between 1969 and 1975, they didn't want to announce a movie because they were worried that if something happened, they were going to take another black eye for announcing and canceling a Star Trek movie. And they didn't want to announce that they were canceling the show, so they let production on the show run for five additional months. Which is insane to Which me. is crazy. Now, granted, everybody behind the scenes knew that they were no longer planning for a TV show, they
1: were planning for a movie. But the public at large did not, and it wasn't until a gossip columnist The December of, I think, 77, 78, basically kind of leaked this idea. So Paramount, they'd said, oh, no, the production's been pushed back. And then eventually, even though they didn't want to do it, they put on one of their biggest press conferences since the 1950s to announce Star Trek, the motion picture.
0: And that is where we're going to start talking about the movie. Now, some of phase two is going to leak into us talking about this because – there's a lot of phase two that became
1: the motion picture. Right. And that's why I kind of wanted to d- detail a little bit of, of what was going on, because like you said, they knew they, they were not working on a show anymore. So they had to do something with the stuff they were working on.
0: Exactly. The pilot episode of phase two called In Thy Image, which itself was a reworking of the God Thing movie script. Uh, was adapted into the plot for the motion picture.
1: And I'm honestly, I'm super excited about that because Alan Dean Foster does not get enough credit as a renowned science fiction writer that I think he deserves. This is a guy who has ghostwritten Star Wars and never asked for the credit. He's done novelizations of countless sci-fi films that have become famous in their own right because of what he added to the novelization. And I know he's done his own things, but he's he's a name that if you have researched, you know, 80s and 70s science fiction at all, his name pops up quite frequently. So,
0: Miles, I know you're a Star Trek fan. You know, I'm a Star Trek fan. Prior to watching this movie this time, about how long had it been since you watched Star Trek, the
1: motion picture? In full at least 15 years.
0: I'm kind of the same. It has a reputation for not being the best Star Trek movie.
1: Yes, it has a, uh, a reputation for being very, what, what people say, boring, and for being a little bloated, and just not being what people want from a Star Trek film, which I find extremely ironic, because the complaints people make about more recent Star Trek stuff, about how it's too action-oriented, well, that... You can't have your cake and eat it too. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Exactly. So let's break down into it. Let's get into Star Trek, the motion picture. We are now at the release of of the Star Trek, the motion picture, December 1979. Our story opens with a lot of new stuff. Uh, So we have this cloud in space. And we have these very familiar but updated ships, Klingon ships being this shown.
1: Is, this is the first time we've seen the what we know as the kind of the next generation Klingons, right? The
0: bumpy headed Klingons. And this is a very early version of the bumpy-headed Klingons. They look they end up even in future Star Trek movies before TNG happens, they end up refining that look quite a bit though. I will will say the search for Spock. Yeah. I will say the, uh, the uniforms, the costumes end up looking very
1: similar to what we end up seeing much later on. I know we see the ships. Does the movie, I'm so sorry. I didn't take a note of this. Does it, does the movie tell you that they're Klingons? No, but so that's, that's interesting because if, if we know we only know they're Klingons because of our modern history, I can't imagine seeing those those creatures for the first time and being like, well, what 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 are they? Well, so what's interesting about
0: that is that the ship design that you see for those Klingons is very similar to the ship design we see for the Klingons in the original series. It's right. just obviously updated for a big movie budget. But the Romulans also use that ship design. It's just very <laughs> very interesting. I wonder if if you were a big time Star Trek fan and you hadn't read anything about it, you're like what are those weird aliens doing in that Klingon ship? That would be funny to me.
1: Well, but even if you didn't know that, what are those weird aliens, period? Yeah.
0: But beyond that, this is also the first time that we hear the Klingon language. Oh, that's right. Uh, it is. It, none of the Klingon uh, actors speak in anything other than the very earliest version of, of Klingonese. Interesting point. Uh, James Doohan, who played Scotty in Star Trek, created the words that they spoke in that in that and and then later on a linguist actually fully fleshed out the language working with him to do that but-
1: what i like about the opening of this movie uh, just to dial it back just a tad is it's it's so old school in that there is no pretense the movie just starts with a theme and the title card there's no cold open that you see in future films there's it's just Ba, 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 which is the first time we hear uh, Goldsmiths, basically the TNG theme.
0: Yeah, what would end up becoming the TNG theme, which is also funny because it was in several movies before it was in The Next Generation. Yes,
1: but that, that, but, that is how I grew up knowing it. And it's, its it's a fantastic theme. And I also think, going back forward, when you're talking about the ships... This movie immediately shows off its budget. You get these close-up details of, you know, the ships moving in action and things happening on the outside, all these minute details that you never got in the show. This immediately tells you this is a larger production and this is something to kind of awe in. And definitely something that was
0: influenced by Star Wars and how Star Wars... Took the time yes. to, to pan around models and show you details that you didn't see before. They, they're showing you angles that they couldn't afford to do with the stock footage that they had in the original
1: series. And, and like you said, it opens up with the Klingons investigating this weird cloud. Uh, go ahead and keep on keeping on.
0: We then see this cloud shoot something at these Klingon vessels and they just kind of phase out of existence. I gotta
1: say. Star Trek loves, loves, loves its weird cloud energy field things as plot focal points. <laughs> this will not be the last time in Star Trek movies that you see something like this. And it certainly won't be the last time you see it in the shows because good Lord, do those things come up so often. <laughs> and that, and the movie, the,
0: the reviews for the movie did take some heat for the bad guy in it basically being an evil cloud. but But, but that said but we'll get back to that so uh we we are then all shown a federation listening post that has been monitoring the 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 klingon communications and the only reason that i bring this this entire sequence up is because there is an act this is the first time we see humans and we see some of the new uh starfleet uniforms which are (laughs) oh
1: oh boy They are so ugly, I hate them so much, and they get worse from here.
0: <laughs> They're bad. They're bad uniforms. They are very 70s. There is a, the, So the, the the listening post, the observation post that we see, spends about 50% of its time focusing on what the Klingons are doing, and the other 50% of the time focusing on chest hair.
1: <laughs> yes. and And one cool detail to go back to the production of this film, when the camera is pulling around the listening post, You see windows, and you see people doing things in those windows. It's not just models. It's superimposed things happening. And to me, like going from, because I watched a couple episodes of the original uh, series, just to kind of get in that mindset, to go from one to the other, it really is such a drastic change. Like, I I mean, I, I just tried to put myself in the mindset. I really can't imagine being a Star Trek fan, and I know this is a dumb detail, but Star Trek fans love their dumb <laughs> details. That's so cool to me.
0: Yeah. For sure. like I mean, see, seeing a living listening station, you know, and and looking into the window from outside, and those effects do not age particularly well. But, no, but you just take
1: them; you take them and try.
0: It's it's really cool to see, and it's something that
1: honestly you don't even see in later Star Trek movies. And it's, it, that's that's too bad because that was the f- one, one thing that I specifically noticed is like, oh man, I feel like I'm watching something that is a living, breathing moment because I see these windows and I see people doing things in those windows. And that sounds such such a silly detail, but like having watched almost every Star Trek show, it's very rare you get to see that kind of thing.
0: Definitely. So we move on from this moment. Uh, I also want to point out, going back to Star Trek phase two, we talked about how Leonard Nimoy didn't want to do Star Trek phase two. So they cast an actor to play this new young Vulcan lieutenant on his first ever mission named Lieutenant Zahn.
1: Who I think was supposed to be like Spock's cousin who was also half human. They
0: they dropped that. He he then became a full Vulcan, which made him even more alien
1: to, to the human crew. Which really informs, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, how Spock is written throughout this film.
0: Yeah, uh, quite a bit. But the, the actor, when... When they decided to make the movie, he realized that his character Zahn was not going to have a, a super large role. And he decided to say, well, just just write the character out, focus on Spock and just give me another role in the movie, which they did as the leader of this listing post that gets evaporated into nothingness,
1: never to be seen again. Yeah, <laughs> so I, I, uh, I do feel bad because researching it like I mean, he, he put in some work. He worked on the show. Yes, the show was canceled, but there were, you know, there's production footage out there. Yeah, I think it's on the DVD of the original motion picture. Yeah. uh, Special edition. Like I was telling Drew this when we were kind of talking about the film. I I did feel really bad that this dude thought he was going to be in Star Trek and like had turned down other roles because he was going to be in Star Trek. I know he got paid for his role.
0: Yeah. And well, look how that ended up. (laughs) Right.
1: Right. But yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, I re- I remember reading something about how he kind of shot himself in the foot later. So I, I don't feel as bad, but still the, just the concept of like, man, you were you were supposed to be basically the new Spock and you're relegated into a, a 10 second cameo. <laughs> so
0: we'll pick up the pace a little bit, because the one thing about this movie is that they do not waste an opportunity to show you a scene on the outside of a ship. The The stations evaporated and, and we get a last message that this intruder and they call it an intruder, which is a cool thing to call it is headed straight for earth. <gasps> and this is the first time we hear we're going to earth in star Trek. Yeah. And we do drop off on Vulcan for a little bit to see what Spock is up to. We don't super know what he's up to. But <laughs> yeah, the
1: movie does. I mean, Basically, he was supposed to be doing some ritual that he has expunged all emotion from himself and receives this new sort of a title. But then Spock like holds his hand up and then uh, he, the, the superior you know, does a little mind meld thing with him and basically says, now you have an expunged emotion. And he just kind of scoots off. She blames his human
0: side for it because, again, Wait. we often forget Spock is half human. Mm-hmm. I'm gesturing in the Vulcan live long and prosperous salute right now for some reason. I caught myself <laughs> doing it. But now we are we go to, to Earth. We see the Golden Gate Bridge and Starfleet headquarters for the very first time in San Francisco, California. And it looks like a matte painting, but it looks like a cool matte painting, but it looks
1: like a matte yeah. painting. Yeah. I'm okay with it. Again, like stuff from the seventies. I I just, I let it go. It was the time. Like this this is what they, this is what they could afford to do. This is 1978,
0: 1979. There's really not, uh, I mean, Star Wars made a lot of things, made a lot of people look bad with what they were doing. You you just got to do what you got to do. And we, so we are introduced uh, or reintroduced to Admiral James T. Kirk. Yes. After his, his five-year mission in, in in space on the enterprise, he has become, One of the commanders-in-chief of Starfleet, one of the heads of Starfleet, and is is an admiral who has been directly assigned to
1: figure out what this intruder is doing. And what they do really well from from here on out is they do such a great job of giving post-show context really succinctly through the dialogue. None of it feels forced. It doesn't feel expository. They're just – through conversation, you pick up. That Kirk had become an admiral. He's been he's been off the enterprise for I think two years. They do a lot of context clues to really update this is where everybody is right now.
0: Yeah, and 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 additionally, the enterprise itself has gone through a, a, a huge refit. It is 80% a brand new ship. It's got the well, same name and the same general shape, but it looks different. The, the which
1: Drew time. made sure to let me know was not the Enterprise A. Ah,
0: because it's not the Enterprise A. <laughs>
1: because, well, the, the, because the reason I asked, because <laughs> Drew is much more into ships and ship models than I am, especially in Star Trek. I know that about him, so I, that's why I asked him. My question was, because they said, like, they they had rebuilt it 80%, so I was like, oh, is this, is this the Model A? Not really even thinking about what happens in future movies.
0: Yeah, the Model A does share the same design, but it is still technically the original Enterprise. But this is where... I again because I hadn't seen this movie in a long enough period of time I forget some of the subtleties of this. Kirk is he's been grounded. He's he he's an adventurer who's been stuck on the planet for for years in a uniform that's too that's too stuffy doing stuff that he doesn't want to be doing. Meanwhile, his ship has been completely rebuilt. Most of the crew is still there and there's this young upstart captain that kirk himself recommended for the job about <laughs> to take it out on on his first adventure and this is this is the part of star trek the motion picture that i forget that I, that I, I i don't remember that this is what this movie is all about
1: i think i think it's through years and years of one the the idea of what star trek the, the original series era is and then these subsequent movies where kirk is basically in his original position no matter what his title is this one I think and I think it's a really smart move to show this movie does a really good job of showing both the flaws and the the character virtues of James Tiberius Kirk
0: yeah so we have we have Admiral Kirk telling people that he has been ordered to take command of the Enterprise to do this mission away from new brand new character Will Decker, not Will Riker, Will Decker, <laughs> we will talk about that later, uh, <laughs> who, was to, who was to serve as the captain of the Enterprise uh, once the refit was complete, and Decker not being particularly happy with the situation. And that's something that, that we always hear about Gene Roddenberry not wanting there to be strife within the crew of the ships, it's, it's why you didn't get a ton of drive between characters in the next generation until after he he passed away and his influence was no longer directly on the show. It was
1: very interesting to see that being at the forefront. Of well, this. what's interesting about that, because I remember m- making a note that Decker's in me unlikable just because you're viewing it from Kurt's perspective to bring it back to phase two. Decker was a character who was written for phase two as a potential replacement should they want to kill off or not be able to afford William Shatner anymore. Yeah. So Decker could take over. Right. So I feel like what they did after this scene, because all of a sudden they kind of pivot a little on Decker and, and how he's characterized for the rest of the movie. I feel like someone had basically wrote that scene to make sense of Kirk being there. And then from then on, it was more smooth sailing. Like you have a few moments of tension that are immediately shut down. So I feel like they just had to have that moment of, this is why everyone's here to get us in space. And then we're going to, we're going to sort everything out. Well, they, they, they let
0: a few of those moments blossom later on. Once we get into some things when Kirk maybe is pushing pushing the ship and pushing the crew a little too much because he... And and this is other little things like Kirk and Decker have this very heated exchange in engineering when they see each other after Decker's been informed that he's not going to be captain of the ship.
1: His kind of childlike outburst is what I thought made him unlikable at first.
0: Yeah, but then Kirk walks away from engineering and then doesn't know where to go because the hallways are not the same. It's not the same ship. He has to ask... Uh, a yeoman, where to go to get to a turbo lift, and as he turns around from having to do that, Decker is standing right there, and it's just I, like I, it, it's weird that these are things that I didn't notice watching this movie as a kid. I was only focused about the intruder that we haven't even named yet and doesn't get named for almost an hour into the movie. Uh, that just the the like I ha- I ignored all the character moments in this, and and I think if you do, if you do that, you miss out on a lot of the 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 good stuff in this movie
1: oh I agree it, it, like I said before this movie does really point out the character flaws in kurt it's not always condemning him but this is this is a movie that shows that Kurt is not necessarily the flawless hero that he might have been made to be by fans his desire for adventure and his his desire to basically kind of fill that pulp archetype is what puts the crew in danger and what puts everyone in danger consistently. And the movie pretty much condemns him for that.
0: Yeah, for sure. I will say we have at this point uh, glossed over the eight and a half minutes of flying by the Enterprise for the first time in the the exterior shot of
1: the, the ship. Yes, this is where the movie gets the reputation of being long and boring because it, and I feel like this is truer to Roddenberry's vision of what he wanted to see in a long episode of Star Trek. Is he wants to like show these slow movements in space, and oh boy, do you get them? But that first, and I, I I do give it a pass for that first look at the Enterprise. You got to have it. You got to. The show's been off the air for ten years. Like you've got to take a look at this Enterprise and seeing. Kirk's face contrasted with that, where he's smiling seeing the ship for the first time. I mean, it's a beautiful moment. It really is.
0: And it is a beautiful, beautiful ship. I adore the movie Enterprise. I think it's, it is it, a gorgeous design. I love it. It
1: is. I mean, my favorite will always be like D and E. But I mean,
0: sure. I mean, I, I'm not going to say that those aren't also my my in my heart
1: favorites, but right. it's but, but yeah, I agree. The, the refitted uh, TMP enterprise is a gorgeous ship and the movie knows it because you will watch this ship for about seven minutes. Yeah. At this point, we've also
0: re- we've also been reintroduced to Sulu who's on the bridge, uh, helping get everything set up. He has just come from the showers, which is why he's wearing a bathrobe. Again, these uniforms are bad. Yes. Um, Uhura Uh, is still on the bridge as the communications officer. Scotty's down in engineering. Chekhov
1: is up getting the weapons ready. And he makes up a cockamamie excuse to get McCoy. There is no reason for McCoy to be there at all. Before we get to
0: McCoy, we should probably also mention that we have the excuse for why we need a certain character who's not there. Uh, We have Lieutenant Sonak, I believe is his name. I think so. Uh, Who is a Vulcan science officer that Kirk picked for the Enterprise crew. Because Kirk loves having a Vulcan science officer. They introduced the idea early on that the transporters were having a difficulty. And then they fixed them. But then they didn't fix them. And Sonak's transporter has a malfunction. An accident that hasn't happened before. And what we got back, Enterprise didn't live very long that scene is
1: uncomfortable
0: (laughs) it's rough it is some rough stuff it is some real rough stuff and it's also unfortunate because you i mean i say you never see the the transporters malfunction in the original series you do but it usually like splits kirk into his good half and his bad half or sends people to the mirror universe or like campy stuff like that it doesn't kill someone (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> but i also think that they took a really scientific approach to what would happen if a something that's supposed to teleport you did malfunction yeah and i i, I feel like that's that's the more likely scenarios and the fear of teleportation so that that one it it's such an uncomfortable scene and it's it still it feels like it's negligence on kirk's part because I mean, he's he's pushing things to 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 move forward he, he's trying yeah, to get he, get him to go he he wants to he wants to get him to go he wants to he also wants to relive his glory days and put everything like it was. It's like he's moving back into an office and just rearranging things.
0: Exactly. Of course, the transporter gets fixed five seconds later, and they we have two more members of the crew joining. We have uh, Lieutenant Elia, who is a brand new character, someone who was cast for Star Trek Phase 2
1: once again. Yep, and the same actress who was supposed to play her in the proposed television show.
0: Yes. In fact, when she auditioned for the television show, she knew she was auditioning for the movie. <laughs> it was in that weird 5-month <laughs> uh double period.
1: Yeah. Uh the, there are some screen test photos of her in kind of the new phase 2 uniforms which were also abysmal.
0: They were fine. They were 70s versions of the 60s Star Trek uniforms. They were Yeah, I the, don't like them. <laughs> they were not the the just I'm sorry. I, I gotta I, I, I love got, Star I Trek, say. but the, the motion picture uniforms are just awful.
1: I am right there with you. There, there is a the specific one that Kirk wears through most of the movie where he looks like he should be in Sequest and not Star Trek. <laughs> because he's he's got this oh this open, you know, the, the open chest here, these weird short sleeves that, I mean, and the colors, he looks like he belongs on Mikhail's Navy. Like he's just he looks like a sailor boy. It's yeah. it's it's hideous.
0: Everything is this light blue or white or or gray. Or gray. It's, it's
1: it's this weird like And there's like also dust some color. some odd dusty browns. It's mm-hmm. it's odd. It's it, just it's not visually appealing. And I remember I made the 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 complaint and you uh what did you say about the the colors? The reason that
0: the original series uniforms were bright red, bright gold and bright blue is because they were trying to push color TVs it was it was a color TV choice but the idea is that oh, now it's so better looking we don't have to do that anymore we, we have we, we kind of they kind of leaned more into a more utilitarian look a more work look and just <laughs> yeah let's oh, I mean, let's move forward because i can't talk about yeah. these i cannot yeah, talk about we, these. we, we should move forward because anymore. we
1: are we are moving at the pace of the movie
0: yes we are <laughs> uh, so we're introduced to lieutenant ilea who is uh, a delton which is a a race we had, have never met before she is
1: bald really cool race honestly
0: Yes, and they definitely make a note of her to say that her celibacy contract is on record.
1: I burst out laughing when she said that. She she knew exactly who she was talking to. What I didn't know looking into the race in, in Mem- uh, Memory Alpha is that there there's a whole other reason that she says it, not just Kirk's reputation, but being... A a Star Trek fan and knowing Kirk's reputation, her saying that is the best mic drop. Yeah, so so Deltons,
0: and none of this is is said on screen other right. than that one line. But the 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 flavor text of the Deltons is that sex is a huge part of their culture. It is a part of every social interaction, social gathering.
1: It's. Kind of they, like they also have like some sort of pheromone or something that they're 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 incredibly sexually attractive to other species.
0: Yes, it's it's kind of like a handshake to them. And so they, when Deltons started serving on Starfleet vessels, they became a bit of a distraction. Um, as, as you do, <laughs> as you do. Uh, the interesting thing about uh, Ilea and 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 the uh, the other new character, Decker, is that Decker had a romantic entanglement with Ilya and had spent some time on Delta Four, I believe, is
1: the planet. I think that's I think it's correct.
0: And so there is some maybe some residual feelings. They they they, they, they there might have been uh, a a monogamous relationship that was exited because of someone's career. If all of this sounds familiar to any Star Trek: The
1: Next Generation fans, I wonder yep. why. Yep. It's they are Riker and Troy <laughs> Except and, But at the same time. Like, I mean, especially looking at, at this movie as a Star Trek fan, and if you grew up liking uh, the next generation or any iteration of Star Trek, I really do implore you to, to watch this movie, at least with historical perspective, because the DNA of so much that happens in the next 30 to 40 years of Star Trek is in this movie.
0: And this is where I want to introduce one more character the way that we've been doing it and then we're going to fast forward through the movie because yes. a, a lot of a lot of what's here is just a lot of the same kinds of things, a lot of battles between Kirk and Decker for control, a lot of not knowing what's going on, a lot
1: of uh, a lot of different stuff. And if it sounds that we have taken too long to like get moving, I'm going to tell you, we have just discussed the first hour of this film.
0: Yeah, it's it's this is is a two hour and 10 minute movie and it earns all those minutes. It it, it (laughs) takes a lot of time. And this is honestly why it has the reputation that it does. It does. It is slow, but it is it is meticulously paced in a way that a lot of harder sci fi was was meticulously
1: paced. Exactly. If you read hard science fiction, especially, I mean, even something like *Leviathan Wakes*, that's even more action orient- oriented, and it's still meticulously paced. But I feel like, and I said this at the at the top of the the discussion about this, this is the closest we get to a big budget version of Roddenberry's vision.
0: I agree. I I 100% agree with that. It is character focused more than anything else. We don't even know the name of the malevolent force in the movie until 52 minutes in. That is, that's not something that you do in movies
1: anymore. Mm -mm. No, this, this movie is, is kind of in a class of its own. And, and like Drew said, this is why it has the reputation. You ask any Star Trek fan about the motion picture. I would say seven out of 10 of them will be like, it's pretty boring. It's pretty rough.
0: Yeah. And and I, and if you're not in the right mindset to watch it, it will be pretty rough. I'm not going to lie, but I I do want to enter to, to to talk about one more characters reintroduction, because I think this is probably for Kirk's and for Kirk's arc in the movie, the most important reintroduction. And that is Dr. Bones McCoy getting drafted Mm -hmm. back into Starfleet (laughs)
1: And he is not happy about it at all. Against his
0: will, he gets beamed up. He has the best 70s costume on. <laughs> He's got a waxed mustache and a big beard, a giant gold medallion. I hate that beard so much. I, I love know you disagree. It. I, I know you disagree. It. I
1: hate it so much. I mean, he. I told Drew his outfit looks exactly like my late grandfather's PJs. Like it is the most chill, swinging outfit you could possibly have. And you would never, by looking at him, think he's a doctor.
0: I mean, it's so Bones's, Bones's civilian clothes are fantastic. I, I should also probably clarify Bones McCoy is my favorite original series character. He is often the voice of,
1: what is going on here <laughs> that, that oh, you need? A hundred percent. I honestly bones McCoy is also one of the best characters in the Kelvin universe uh movies.
0: The Kelvin timeline has Bones being born in Marietta, Georgia, which is where I currently live, which is very funny to me.
1: And honestly, uh DeForest Kelly, he he brings it, he he's able to kind of walk that line of of humor and also I mean the the guy commands respect at the same time well because he's the one person that can talk back to Kirk and
0: and Kirk will listen and that's where that's where Bones is super important to this because I questioned and I have in my notes for watching this movie this is a ship going against this super malevolent force that just causes things to disappear what does Kirk need Bones for on this mission? Nothing. He doesn't need it other than to be his personal support. And that is so interesting to me as a character choice and it's something that i don't hear commented on very often that this is all still kirk trying to grasp he's got to have bones here he's got to have this he's got to have that it's got to be just like the old days and it is just like the old days but it's a little more hollow it's a little colder it's a little different and that permeates this movie in a way that i think is super super
1: interesting as a star trek fan and that's, that's why I say this movie definitely does like highlight the recklessness of Kirk, but not, not only that, but the the idea that he is in love with something that is no longer applicable to him. He wants to relive those glory days and he's got to have his crew on his ship and everything has to go his way. He wants to dive things head first when everyone knows that's not how it, how it's supposed to be. They have a interaction with this cloud that, nearly destroys the ship. Yeah. And which we should, we, should, we should also
0: comment. Uh, Spock joins the crew. He takes a weird Vulcan shuttle and joins the crew and is immediately activated. He has a haircut between the first part of the movie and the second part of the movie. He's also a little weird and offstandish. Part of that might be M- Leonard Nimoy just not really wanting to be there necessarily. But
1: and and also probably they I, I almost guarantee they just removed the word Zon and wrote Spock. I think you are. Correct. So, because he does feel a lot more cold, th- and and you could argue, oh well, that's from all the training he did to to purge his emotions. But I mean, that's maybe. why they, that's why they added that scene at the beginning because he's been through a lot of emotional purging, <laughs> right? And I think I think you're exactly right. That that at least explains. Oh, this is why we have this weird writing for Spock later. From from here on out, it's pretty it's a pretty cut and dry. Story.
0: Yeah. So we have we have we have established that that Decker and Ilya have some sort of prior relationship. They go in. they they approach the the intruder. The intruder lets them get really close. They it puts this weird electrical beam scanning beam that ends up killing Ilya in the process. Everyone is upset until all of a sudden there is an intruder alert and Ilya is there. But she's not Ilya. She is the intruder's recreation of Ilya that looks exactly the same except for a bright red gem on her neck that is there to communicate. Pretty pretty Star Trek
1: yeah, kind of it's, stuff. And it's, it's, it's a weird moment and it doesn't get any less weird from here on out. I feel like that scene was a little, I think it needed more. Uh, sure.
0: I, I think I think you're right about that. But I think there was there were script problems that we have done our research on that we don't need to talk too much about here. Right. Where they just they didn't know I, how to, to get to the end. And I'm just
1: saying cut a few minutes of going through a wormhole and add that to introducing the
0: situation. <laughs> sure. So but so the, and this but this is where we find out about what the intruder is. The intruder is called V'ger. And again, this is almost an hour into the movie that we are. It's over an hour in the movie. This yeah, is like are, an hour and a half that we are finding out anything about this. The the entity is called V'ger. It is trying to find the creator to send a message to it. Ilya is they they it has recreated Ilya as as a, a recreation in order to communicate with the carbon based life forms that are infesting the Enterprise because since it is a machine intelligence, it is a, an artificial being a mechanical intelligence it sees the the any biological elements as an infestation and the ship
1: is the true being which i find super interesting because i i think it's hints of what they'll do with things like the borg later in the franchise
0: this i mean this is all prime star trek stuff yes This, this is this is all super super star trek Stuff And that doesn't get any less crazy when they actually enter the V'ger cloud. They enter into the structure that is within the V'ger cloud, which was actually designed by legendary designer and recently passed away, Sid Mead. Rest in peace, Sid. You Mm -hmm. did some tremendous, tremendous work in your life. He
1: did. And this movie... Allows you to study it because it's about a 10-minute sequence.
0: It, it, it is, but it is some of the most it's gorgeous. amazing sequences. They have this super intricately designed V'ger structure that is very hard to describe, but it's so big. And th- the only thing I can get, it, it looks kind of like maybe an apocalypse in the DC universe? Kind of, except it's like a with these big curving things. And yeah, it's, it, it,
1: it's, it's, it's crazy.
0: And and the, the model itself was six meters long or something crazy like that. So they could get these really tight camera shots flowing through it. And they, they juxtapose that with these really far away shots of this little tiny enterprise flying above it. And it's just the sense of scale between the two things is something that you never saw in the original series. And, and you rarely see anywhere else in star Trek. You never see something that big. And it was really, really cool
1: to see. Yeah. Something, something that we, we, we spoke about uh, off, you know, while, while we were watching this movie, we basically watched live watched it together. You made a comparison and I think it was the correct one when you mentioned that this movie definitely differentiates itself in attempting to be a film as opposed to a movie like the science fantasy film, Star Wars. This, this is really trying to take in the, the awesomeness, and I mean that in, in the true sense of the word, of this other otherworldly thing that we can't comprehend. And there's a lot... A lot that is influenced and informed by Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey.
0: Definitely. 100%. When Spot goes out into. Yeah, when Spot does that to... uh, solo spacewalk uh, scene and basically goes through the 2001 psychedelic montage. He, he does. <laughs> but you know
1: what? I was watching that. I'm like, this is so cool. Yes, this. this and that scene also takes forever. But. I don't want to I I feel like I'm gonna sound pretentious if I say this, but it takes a specific kind of science fiction fan to appreciate the motion picture as it is. And I don't mean that in a, oh, you don't get it. Is you have to really be open to hard science fiction and want to see that. And honestly, I have to say, this movie is great. I really enjoy this movie. I do too. Like I was expecting to kind of yawn my way through this and the entire time I honestly I was smiling a lot because of it. I remember yawning my way through the movie
0: I remember I do too and I'm going to be honest there are some Effect shots that are it it drags. Like you could, this could be thirty seconds, but it's six minutes. We could do that, and the fact that there is an even
1: longer cut of the movie (laughs) that was released at one point. I have I have been told it's mostly character stuff, which yes, they absolutely could have used more of that. Yeah, where is Uh, that? And I think it's mostly Ilya and Decker, which again they could have used more, and it makes sense when you kind of go with the end of the story, but. No, we, we we need those twelve minutes of exterior shots. But for someone who wants to show this gorgeous utopia of exploring space and what that means, and and creating a scientific mind about it, I don't think you could do anything but Star Trek: The Motion Picture. I, I think agree. I, I, I agree. said this before. This is I think this is the truest to Roddenberry's vision as we will get.
0: I the Star Trek. I could not agree more. Let's burn through yeah. to the end because this is where the stuff that has crazy. been interesting <laughs> gets real interesting. So the intruder V'ger has reached Earth. It has sent out these little orbs that are gonna purge Earth of all organic life because it's trying to find the creator and it doesn't know where the creator is. So Kirk does a classic Kirk versus Artificial Intelligence <laughs> moment. <laughs> And this is this is maybe the most Star Trek of all of the things. Ilya, the, the Ilya bot it wants wants to know where the creator is, and Kirk is, is is Spock. I mean Ilya, I know where the creator is, but I'll only tell Viger itself that he works this whole angle, obviously not knowing where the creator is, to to get to the core of the Viger uh, entity. To find where it is, uh, there's a
1: lot of. Cracks. I'm, I'm still laughing as you're. It's so ridiculous, but it, it is so Star Trek. It is it's so classic Kirk. Star Trek, and I never put
0: that together that that's what that is. So many episodes of the original series, Kirk is fighting with androids and AI and tricking them with this stuff, like with the dumbest bluff, like like, like uh, the dumbest bluff, and I love it. I love it so much. He is a compulsive liar i am telling the truth oh but if he's this then the, the, i mean it's a classic moment so we get to the we get to the center of of veger after another again Really long but beautiful effect sequence that involves them walking out onto the hull of the Enterprise. And why? Why I didn't see Kirk like reach down and just touch the Enterprise with his hand? I would have loved to see that. Because how often do you get to do that to yeah. your spaceship? They, then they 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 go to to the core of V'ger and they see this odd dish covered gold foiled.
1: Thing it's, it looks so strange and yet so familiar. And I, and I, that sounds like I'm trying to tease you, but in all honesty, like when I watched it, because I had forgotten the twist of this movie, I'm oh, like, you forgot a- the twist? Oh yes. man, that's what that's why when I told you, I was like, this, this twist is so freaking clever because I had forgotten it because it'd been so long. And you're like, oh, that's a that's kind of a retro design. I mean, I, I, I get, oh yeah, it's supposed to be the 70s, and then you find out what Bijer is, and I. As soon as Kurt starts to realize it, because he sees this structure and he sees this well, kind of this
0: He sees the structure and he sees the plate on the side of it that has English letters. Yeah, and it's Voyager, V-G- and, and, and then he starts to rub on it. And it's Voyager 6, an old NASA probe. I love that twist so much.
1: I think it's, it's so clever.
0: It's so good. I love it so much. That this that this Vger probe or Voyager 6 probe that, that Earth sent out hundreds of years ago at this point, from the from the perspective of the characters standing there. And and Decker is there and he says that the Voyager 6 probe was was lost and never lost. recovered because it went through some kind of wormhole and ended up encountering this this artificial intelligence robotic race and they basically uplifted it because it was <laughs> yeah, it gained sentience it and gained sentience. And then, and then because it's directive was to learn everything and transmit it back, it's going back to earth to give it the information, but because it doesn't really understand its own sentience, it doesn't understand why. And, and they go through the code database and they try to find the codes that would, Deactivate the Voyager six probe, and so that it would receive the message, and it would get the all clear signal. But then they opened the panel, and the reason it never got it is because it was damaged, and 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 there, the the lines that would have connected those pieces were cut. And it's just there's something so beautiful and wonderful about that whole moment.
1: It, it honestly makes me sad. I think I think there was only actually two Voyagers, but at that time they they didn't know that was not going to be the case. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I had forgotten that twist, and I I love it so much because like when you I can't imagine seeing this even then being like oh because I mean the Voyager the Voyager program was still kind of it was new. I mean you have to consider when this movie came out, you know the moon landings were still going on. Voyager 2, I think, had just launched in 77. So the uh, that that idea, like I love, and this is what good horror and science fiction does, good speculative fiction does, is it takes something from the time and expounds on it. So I mean the Voyager program was still in people's minds. That was a big deal back then. That was a space race. Using that, it may have seemed a little maybe maybe more obvious then, but watching it now, especially 15 years later. I was like this is such a freaking clever twist and I love it so much and that that kind of thing to me is the correct way to include the past. You don't always have to play a Beastie Boys song. Yeah. Which, for the record, I freaking love that they do it. Like, every time the Beastie Boys pops up in any science fiction, I am down to clown. But (laughs) I I think in terms of, like, smart, good writing, this is the sort of thing, in terms of connecting something that could be 300 years in the future, that I feel like Star Trek should do.
0: Yes. To resolve Decker in order to save humanity – and to save the planet Earth, merges with the Ilia bot, who has because it's a com- a perfect copy of Ilia with all of her memories and emotions, becomes this new entity that basically phases out of our existence because it was because Viger was looking for a purpose. Is there? anything more
1: and uh, this is the part that i think is a little underbaked is this scene
0: like, uh, well, so, so i want to say the 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 Ilia, the decker merging is a little underbaked but i yes. just want to point out that that spock has some tremendous lines
1: in. yes in he does
0: it is asking is this all that i am is there nothing more like that's that's what V Vig- that's why V'Gers come home. Like that is that's Oh, I love it. And and yeah and it knows only that it needs, but like so many of us, does not know what it needs. Which makes it more human. It's 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 like it's it's tremendous, tremendous sci-fi writing, and I, I I have now become such a massive proponent of this movie and watching it this one time I'm, as an I adult. I the same
1: way. <laughs> I actually told a friend of mine who's also a massive Star Trek fan that I was watching this and, and he was like, oh man, good luck. And I'm like, I, I am having the best time with, and I, I was so happy that I I was doing this with Drew because if there was one person in my life that I know that will at least go on this journey with me, but also Feel the same way it was going to be Drew, and I mean we were both a little surprised by our reactions, but I was just like, yeah, I I get every criticism for this movie is a hundred percent valid, but if it is the kind of science fiction that you are looking for, it exceeds in almost every way.
0: Yeah, for sure, and 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 so our our movie ends with Decker and Ilya being declared. Missing in action, not killed in action, but missing in action at Kirk's request because they've become something new. They've they've become a new life, a new civilization, boldly going. Which,
1: which is which, which is <laughs> it, it is such a Star Trek ending. It's it's that kind of looking off into space. They become something new, and we are going to leave it alone, type of thing. And I, but I love it. I love it. And then. The movie ends on the most Kirk line ever written in Star Trek. Sulu says, warp one, sir. And the other guy goes, heading, sir. And Kirk just looks at the view screen, out there, that away. <laughs> and I, th- th- I kind of wish the movie didn't end that line because I was, I was just thinking, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> you just had to do that. <laughs> <laughs> it is such a Kirk thing And I, it doesn't ruin the movie at all for me But I was just, just kind of rolled my Got eyes it. At that one keep, bit Keep in mind that the original
0: series In Star Trek 6 ends
1: their their
0: run With Kirk saying second star to the right And straight on till morning But see it's I'm a Peter same. Pan
1: fan so I get that And I am down it's with that It's the same kind of thing but It is but that away It sounds like something I would say Trying to sound cool and I'm not cool so that is star trek the motion picture i mean as 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 you can tell we both really liked this movie does it let me ask you this drew because i know we have talked about this a lot does it deserve the reputation that it gets i uh, because it's a complicated question because as i said it it All of the criticisms for this movie are valid. I personally think that that anyone who likes Star Trek or is into Star Trek should watch this movie at least once with an open mind and with the idea that this is Roddenberry's vision. It is not going to be the most exciting science fiction film you ever watch, but by gosh, it is going to be the most staring at the stars, filled with hope, the thing that Star Trek embodies. I feel like this motion picture gets... Perfectly,
0: I agree. I think that this this is one of those movies where I feel like it deserves to be seen in the right frame of mind. I can say the same
1: about 2001. Not that I consider them, but again, kind of movie. But again,
0: I think I think if you're going to compare it to anything, I don't need to. I I don't desire to watch 2001: A Space Odyssey when I do. I when I'm when I'm you know on a Saturday afternoon to throw something on the TV, <laughs> hanging out with the boys. Yeah. Uh, but th- th- that though that that's not necessarily the case for Star Trek 2 or Star Trek 4, the more action-oriented Star Trek films, which are also great in their own rights. So I don't want to but I think if we need to look at this film in in the context of what it was at the time and what it did because this movie had a budget of 46 million dollars, which at the time
1: was Tremendous, especially since it was only supposed to have fifteen.
0: <laughs> yeah, its box office was one hundred and thirty-nine million dollars, which at
1: the time was a lot of money.
0: Paramount still considered it a a, a, a failure. It not a not, failure. Well, it didn't just considered a do as Well,
1: it, they, they didn't do as well as they wanted, but enough to warrant a second one at a lower cost.
0: So it made its money, and it made the opportunity to make Star Trek two. Which did happen. Star Trek II made less money in the box office. But the budget to make Star Trek II was a lot lower than the budget to make Star Trek 1. So they considered it more of a financial success. And that led to Star Trek 3 and Star Trek IV and eventually Star Trek The Next Generation. And when we talk about Star Trek The Next Generation, we have to look at Star Trek The Motion Picture. And we have to look at Star Trek Phase Two, Because you have characters, like we've already mentioned, Will Decker is the basis for William Riker. Ilya is the basis for Deanna Troy. Lieutenant Zahn, who was not in this movie and was written out of the movie because the actor asked him to, is the basis of Data. This script that th- th- was for the pilot episode is just one of 13 that they had made before the production started. And I guarantee you that a lot of those scripts that you think never got made for Star Trek Phase Two. Were made for Star Trek The Next Generation in season two when there was a writer strike and Mm -hmm. they could just repurpose old scripts and they had these phase two scripts that they just turned into next generation scripts. This movie and the production that led up to this movie is the reason we
1: have Star Trek. I think actually, I think Star Trek uh, Phase Two, uh, as far as like repurposing, I think it went up to Voyager too. I think there's an episode of Voyager that uses one of the scripts, or at least one of the script ideas. And to think that all of this,
0: we have to go all the way back to that season two cancellation scare. And B. Joe and John Trimble organizing this whole fan campaign to get the show for a third season that let it, that let it have syndication that let it build the audience that let it build the animated series that let it build Paramount into wanting to make a movie and then a TV
1: show and then the movie that they actually made we live in a time where fandom is more associated with negative toxicity than anything else in in general stuff like this makes you stop and recognize all of the good things that fandom does too and especially to save something to to really be the catalyst of why what I would consider one of the greatest and most hopeful science fiction intellectual properties of all time. It would not exist without the fans. It would have died in season two and it would have been, Oh, that was a cool show. Would have been relegated to obscurity and,
0: and, and a cult following would have developed for these Ancient VHS, super grainy copies, because the originals have been destroyed and all of this other stuff.
1: You would have found it for ten dollars on DVD at Cracker Barrel, like you do a lot of older shows. Yeah. So I mean, you also have to take into account, like, even though there is such a loud negativity that you know the good isn't always loud, and I think that's what's so amazing about this picture is it's not a loud film. It's not a big action-oriented film like The Wrath of Khan is. And this and this movie took a lot
0: of, of heat from critics for the the bad guy being an evil cloud for all of the all of the action in the movie being characters looking at something on a screen. It's like I believe uh, one of the critics called it uh, the most interesting thing: watching characters watch TV.
1: <laughs> well, and you know, I, I think that is also a post Star Wars reaction as well you know when you've got people even though it especially at the time was considered science fiction you know swinging laser swords and getting into to dogfights in space of course this is different but star trek has always been about something different it's all about looking it's all about hope it's all about boldly going forward and i think that's what this film does i think that's what the fandom did for this franchise and yes i i get that this movie is slow but by god, I love it. And I, I think that you should watch it.
0: I do too. I really I I was not looking forward. I proposed this to
1: Miles. You did, and I was like, "Oh, okay. We'll we'll, we'll do we'll do the Star be- Trek episode." I believe
0: I even said I'm mostly kidding because we were talking about doing Picard as bringing P- the character of Picard back as a big return. And honestly, I'm so glad we did this because I have such a new appreciation for this this movie that I had written off as as the slow, bad
1: Star Trek movie that we were lucky to get another one. And this is why I like that we're doing these themes, because even though we are choosing these things for the most part, it's not always stuff that we are, you know, oh, we're just going to choose things that we like. That's not always the case. And sometimes we'll be choosing things we haven't seen or read or or played. But I loved doing this. Like one, I hadn't seen this in in a long time. But I think that because there is such a vocal minor, I'm I'm sorry, a vocal majority that tells you to always skip this movie, I'm I'm glad that we can be one of the voices that say, no, don't check it out. If you love Star Trek, you should at least give it one one shot.
0: Understand what it is. Understand that it's not Wrath of Khan. That it's not. Star Trek 4. It's not Star Trek 6. It's certainly not First Contact. It's not First Contact, but that it is some of the truest Star Trek put on screen.
1: I I agree. I I love this movie. I am honestly... It started as a joke, but I am glad this was our first episode back because I I, I have had such a good time. I know that we got a little long on the tooth about Star Trek because we both love Star Trek and Star Trek has such a convoluted history that we wanted to really do this whole thing justice and and give you guys more of a deep dive into the things that we are watching. That's kind of been our mission statement forward. And we really hope that you enjoyed this look into the return of Star Trek.
0: Absolutely. So with that said, we're going to end our conversation about Star Trek, the motion picture for our first big return Moving forward, next week we are going to be talking about the PlayStation Four game God of War, the new version of the God of War franchise that came out in twenty eighteen. Uh, you can check that out if you have a PlayStation Four. It is on the PlayStation Classics. I want to say you can get that thing for less than twenty bucks right now, and it's yeah, also, it's constantly on sale now. It's constantly on sale, and and it is uh, it is available even if you don't have a ps4 and you just want to watch somebody play it i guarantee you there is a complete playthrough of the game on youtube that someone has done uh we're going to talk about how that compares to the god of war games that took place before and yes and the changes I, I'm, with that
1: i'm really excited to talk about that because as i said at the top of the show or or maybe it was in our announcement i'm i'm not a massive god of war fan so i came at this with a very different mindset and. I'm really looking forward to kind of really diving into this franchise next week. Drew, tell people how they can get in touch with us. If they want If they want to share their impressions of Star Trek, the motion picture, if they want to share some ideas for future themes, or if they just want to say hello. Yeah, you can reach out to us, themoreunerd at gmail.com,
0: themoreunerd at gmail.com. That is our email address, and we would love to hear from you there welcome us back give us some good <laughs> positive
1: reviews yeah please, please. Uh, we haven't we haven't had a review in over a year
0: <laughs> uh, you can you can of course find us anywhere podcasts are downloaded in fact a few new places before in, in the new iteration of the show from where we were before so some more people might be listening to us for the very first time and if you have liked what we've been putting up just please let us know you can uh, hit us at facebook.com the more as well as Twitter at the more you nerd uh and that's gonna be it for this inaugural debut relaunch
1: episode miles true welcome back yes so we are going to end this show as we always do with a rousing nerd, nerd out, out!